Welcome to Diverse Tech Founders, a podcast about the one thing older than capital, people like you and me. Now here's your host, Abraham J. Williamson. Welcome back to Diverse Tech Founders podcast. And I'm feeling a little bit in an academic mood because we're sitting in one of the best universities in the Detroit area, Wayne State University. It's buzzing in here with students even on a Saturday. And we have here a friend from Howard Days, a Howard brother, Donovan Wright, who finished up a year before I did, but we'll explore that a little bit more. Instead of talking about today and college and all that, we're going to rewind the clock back to earlier times with Donovan and start off with a question that you may be familiar with, which is your childhood. So talk to us about your childhood self and if younger Donovan would be friends with Mr. Wright today. Definitely, because younger Donovan was an entrepreneur. It's actually a very funny story. So I was, I actually wanted to be a writer growing up. And like, I actually did the whole nine. Um, so fast forward to high school, I was actually in the magnet program for creative writing and was like on the path. Like I was going to be like the next Langston Hughes, like we were doing it. But then I started taking interest outside of school, just most entrepreneurs selling lemonade, selling candy, Pokemon cards, just hustling. And then my junior year in high school, I actually took a business marketing class. And the, I guess, capstone project of that class is in Virginia, they have this competition where all of the business marketing classes across the high schools have to create a company with digitally or virtual tangible products. So NFTs before NFTs were a thing. And then they have this conference where there's like pitch competitions. What are your business plans? Like all of this stuff, like in high school. Well before, like, this was 2008, 2009, before tech was mainstream conversation, I fell in love with it. And what's funny is my dad, like, senior year, we started having this conversation about, okay, where are you going to school? What are you majoring in? And I was like, I'm going to NYU and I'm majoring in writing. Like, that's the plan. We've been talking about this since I was like six. And he's like, I'm not paying for that. And so, of course, I'm taken aback because I'm like, well, uh, this has been the plan. And he's like, no, you can write on your free time. He's just like, one, I want you closer to home, which protective military dad, whatever. And he was like, you need to pick a more practical major. So went to visit Howard because my mom wanted me to go to HBCU. And I'm from the 757. So you have Hampton and you have Norfolk State. And I was like, there is no way on God's green earth I'm going to be within 60 minutes of my parents' house. It's not going to happen. So we went to go visit Howard and like fell in love. Like immediately, I think I went for a, a weekend campus tour. That Monday, put in early application. Was like, this is where I'm going. I don't even think I seriously applied to any other schools outside of my local area. My dad, to this day, brags. Like, I knew it. You just didn't want to listen. So I think younger Donovan, seeing where apparently my, my parents knew, but I didn't quite have a concept for, see that it actually came into fruition. But that passion of writing and storytelling is still pre- very prevalent in what I do in my day-to-day. Got it. Love that. And you're bringing back memories for me when I first got to Howard's campus. But let's get back to you because you traded a pin for a calculator. So now we want to know what was it like when you first began to touch technology? So what were your earliest experiences with technology and innovation? I mean, it's probably aging myself a little bit like on the older side of millennials, but it had to be, I think, what it was like the Gateway 800, those PCs that were the first bell internet and i was like a huge gamer and so playing pc games is what kind of got me started in specifically just looking at technology and innovation and then so pc games migrated into console games so you're talking about of course sega nintendo phenomenal right very very antique get it did that loved it but when we started getting into you talking about like PlayStation and Xbox, where gaming took like a leap beyond what anyone thought was possible. And now 3D renderings, open world concepts, role playing games where your in-game decisions actually reflect the outcome of the game. That's where it started, where technology was just like, man, like video games, right? And even now I'm still a hardcore console and PC gamer, man. That is my pastime. That's good to hear. It's really good to hear. And since in somewhat of a theme with technology and our community, the games are a portal into what's possible. At some point, instead of consuming, you want to start building and you start thinking about, well, what would it look like if I added what's in my head and manifest that in the real world? So now talk to us about 
What is Guild? And from where did this idea originate? Why? Because since we've been in Wayne State already, I can see your passion and your interest in making the built environment better. So talk about Guild and talk about where that idea came from. Yeah. So Guild is a in-end renovation platform that streamlines and automate the process for both homeowners and contractors to limit costly mistakes that are usually brought on by bad information or bad actors and bad decision making. So how that started is just really, I promise you, I'm not, it's not a brand, right? Like this is legit. Like most entrepreneurs, it's a problem I had and was looking for something to fix it and could not find that something and decided to build it myself. So I am a residential real estate investor, mainly buy and hold. And so I started with my first property in this community called Fitzgerald here in Detroit. It's right on the outside of Marymount University. Well, the campus of Marymount, because it's actually not a college anymore, I don't believe. And the project went over budget by $25,000 and two months over our agreed time frame. Now, I'm funding this through my own pocket and my investors. So this is like, and my investors are like my friends. So this is real cash and not like the stories you see like, oh, how I built a million dollar empire with no money down. No, this, this is legitimately like I saved up my money to embark on this journey and it ended up working, right? We we got a, a house fully renovated, really nice, rented, cash flowing positive. So the result worked, but the process was really bad. And so using that marketing degree that I got from Howard, I sat down and started to do a root cause analysis to figure out where did we go wrong to where we spent an extra 25K, which we were really saving Right. That, that was supposed to be for like all hell breaks loose. This is just not what's working. Like this is just, we just slowly kept tapping into that contingency fund in two months, which that comes with as those who know in real estate investing, right? Especially when it comes to rentals, the longer you're holding a property, there's holding costs that are associated with that. And when you're trying to remortgage or refinance or pull your money out. So I started exploring like what went wrong and literally looking at stage of the process, then went to the market. Right. Like what is some technology that can help me manage this and prevent this from happening again? And there was really nothing there. So renovation is pretty much broken down into four phases. So there's phase one, which is the connect, simple connect supply and demand. I'm someone who has a project that needs to be done. Help me find somebody that can do it. Then it's choose. Now I validate you as a contractor licensing. Are you insured? The contractor chooses and vets you as a customer. Do you actually have money? Do you have a deposit? Are you just, what do you want to do? This scope of work. Then phase three is initiate, which self-explanatory. You begin the project. Phase four is completed, where it's more than just paying for it, but it's also getting your inspections, any type of licensing and permits taken care of and getting that property, whether it's a flip, a sale, or just your own home, making sure that it's done. There's nothing out there that does all four phases. So you have, especially for a real estate investor, you have the upfront supply and demand, Angie, Thumbtack, Porch, things like that. And then you have companies like Cozy who help you automate your landlord responsibilities. But it's like between connecting me to someone to do a project and managing my property, there's a lot that happens between those two flagpoles. And there was nothing out there. So I was just like, well, I need to build something for myself. And what started off as kind of a side project to make it easier for me to continue to invest actually made me shift my focus into founding Guild as a company. Now, that is an origin story of all origin stories. And it connects brilliantly with who you are as a person and where you hope to be in the future. So I'm glad that you were able to build something that also lines up with that thesis. Some folks may be professionals and do this all the time, and I'm sure they're going to see inherently the value in what you're building. But if I'm a casual renovator, if I'm new to real estate investing, or if this is my first time, what are casual renovators going to get out of Guild that they can't get in these other products and in these other places? Great question. And honestly, through customer discovery, what made me really like double down on I, I'm onto something here was my conversation with casual renovators, not professionals. Because when you're a professional, especially if you had any degree of success in real estate, it really becomes like its own flywheel. Especially if you get two or three properties good, it's an automated system at that point. It's how do I get that first one? 
whether I'm a homeowner or a real estate investor. And what is going to help with casual folks or folks who want to become professionals is going to make you a more informed decision maker because there is so much context that most property owners, homeowners, construction clients in general don't understand about the construction industry. So if you speak to any contractor, most will tell you a client wants it half the price you quoted and twice as fast as you told them it's going to take. And that's because there's this dynamic that has been established over years of bad practices on both sides of the aisle between a client and a contractor, where each one thinks they're trying to fool the other. So most homeowners go into this relationship with a person who's about to work on what will most likely be the largest investment of your life. They're trying to, they're out to get me. So I need to get them. Right. So I'm going to nickel and dime every aspect of this scope of work. I'm questioning and second guessing everything. But most casual people don't have the industry expertise to do that. So what Guild helps people do is one, I'm going to just say it right out. Guild does not help you shortchange a contract. Guild makes you a more informed decision maker. So you understand the context in which you're making decisions and the ramifications of those decisions, whether it's, I don't want to do this because it's going to cost too much money, or actually I want to do this, but it is going to add $5,000 extra to my invoice. Who doesn't want to be a more informed consumer? This makes a lot of sense, especially because as folks have begun to spend more time at home, they've begun to think about how they want that place to look. So it, it seems like this is something that may reach more people than a casual person might think. So Early on, you were building this just for you. So what evidence of traction did you see in the marketplace or in your own communities that kept you going? Because you could have stopped with building something that helped you as an individual, but now it's a company, it's growing fast, you're expanding into like new awareness and insights after you speak with these uh, customers or prospective customers. So what evidence of traction did you see that led you to keep going? So for me, Having a marketing background, you have to make decisions before you actually see traction. When it comes to actually building anything, in my opinion, a technical solution. So it wasn't like we were just building a new marketplace. We are building a platform. So my platform is built a really large database and we want to grow that to be automated. So machine learning, artificial intelligence, the whole nine. So before I was going to make that investment, I did over a hundred customer discovery interviews, right? So I went the path of finding out exactly what people were dealing with. Because anytime I told anyone about my idea, everyone's like, well, they already got Angie and Thumbtack, right? Because Angie, at this point, 2019, when I'm thinking about this idea, Angie has been around for almost 30 years. I think Angie was founded in the 1990s. Thumbtack's been around since 2008. Task Rabbit was founded in 2008, had already sold for $80 million or something to Ikea. So there was like, that's already out there. So I had to investigate to find out, is anyone else having the problems that I have? And what I found is that everyone is having the same problems. And it's not just on the homeowner side, it's on the contractor side. And the weaknesses of the solutions that are currently in market and really the strengths that still aren't addressing these problems. And that was all the traction that I needed before anything was built, before any landing page or any lean startup methodology or any dollar was invested, it was those customers and potential users looking me in the face, some in tears, remembering, you know, the trauma of my renovation went terrible or a contractor saying like, because of dealing with this customer and the threat of a bad review, I made no money on this job or like potential investors who had saved up their money and set out on the path to build wealth and lost it all on a bad property. And now they're trying to build the pieces back. So like hearing these stories, and like I said, at this point, Thumbtack's been around for 10 years, Angie's been around for maybe 30, and there's still these stories. And there's horror stories from people using these platforms. And then even the great stories, folks who had successful renovations, who had successful investments, where everything ended up working out, still the process being overwhelming, nerve-wracking, feeling like I was powerless is one of the key things I really got from a lot of those interviews. That's what I needed to say, like, clearly there is a problem here that has not been solved. And this industry is big enough and has so many different verticals within it that I don't need 50% of it for this to be successful. If I can capture 
half a percentage point, you're still talking about a billion dollar business. That's big money. And like any great marketer, you've built up the value. You got folks excited now, people who may not even be thinking about building something in their home or now maybe thinking about renovating. So the question now is how much is this going to cost us? So how do you make money with Guild and give us insight into what we can expect as a consumer? Great question. So the great thing about Guild, it doesn't cost a homeowner any money to use Guild. So we make money by charging a 10% commission fee to contractors, basically thinking of it as a referral fee, whatever framework you want to put in, profit split, I should say revenue share. So they take 90, we take 10%. Homeowner only pays their, whatever the cost of their project is. Now, like I said earlier, we're not in this business to shortchange contractors. So using Guild, you are going to pay market rate, dependent. We're... Our process on our platform, a homeowner has two paths that they can choose from. They get an initial quote where we have a servicer come to their house. Once again, this is completely free and they get a detailed scope of work. So we're not talking about overarching estimates that you actually don't know what that means, right? Some guy coming to your house and saying, yeah, it's going to cost you $30,000, but okay, what's in that $30,000? No, you get an invoice, a line item invoice of this is what you're going to get. This is what the deliverable, this is how long it's going to take. This is how much money it's going to cost. A homeowner then can decide, okay, I don't want to negotiate. I accept that price. Let's say it's $25,000 for simple math. And they go through a fixed price journey where they just submit that on our platform and contractors raise their hands to say, I will do the work at that price. Now, if you're a homeowner and say, you know what? I want to let the market work for me. Let's use capitalism. See if you can bring this cost down, right? Everybody loves competition. I will submit this scope of work that is then made anonymous in terms of the cost to the same contractors on our platform, and they can bid on that scope of work with whatever they want, and then a homeowner can move from there. But what we found is, one, our platform is extremely accurate, so most folks don't get some like 35 45% discount, not if you want the work done right, but you can realize maybe a 10 to 15% discount just because it's good competition. But the homeowner is not paying any additional cost for this experience and for this de-risker, because that's really what Guild is, is we de-risk your renovation in your project. And as you move forward through that process, select a contractor, as we continue to build out this platform, you're going to be able to manage your entire renovation in one location. So that's payment, communication, permitting, record retention, instead of like most renovations now where the process is all over the place, depending on how that contractor does business. That is solid. So I want to kind of ask a follow-up question to this, because who is Guild not for? It's clear that if you are actively looking for a contractor, this is the place where you should definitely consider going. But who is Guild not for? So right now, I'm, this is a loaded question. So let's start here. So right now we're based in Metro Detroit, where we're building really small, really focused, just because we want to maintain quality. By the summer, we hope to spread to the state of Michigan. And then from there, all bets are off. So if you're not located in Metro Detroit, technically Guild is not for you. Additionally, our niche that we're focused on right now is interior residential, non-foundational, non-architectural. So no structural wall changes, no foundations, no roofs, things like that, and no exterior work. So if you fall in that category, we're not there yet. Hang with us, follow the journey. We got you. So with those caveats out of the way, We're probably at this stage, not for commercial property owners, just because the depth of our platform right now doesn't cover the nuances of a multifamily unit that may have 50 apartments, units that need to be renovated. Each one could have a uniquely set of scope that needs to be done. New builds, new construction, we're not there either. So we're really focused on your homeowners your casual investors, your boutique landlords who may have a couple of duplexes, things like that. And to a certain degree, relatively new Airbnb investors who may have four or five properties that they want to renovate. But that's where we're focused on right now. Gotcha. I think you might have struck gold there talking about the Airbnb investors. They seem to be moving with the quickness as of lately. Speaking of moving, your network has been expanding. We were talking about this coming in. Your profile, more people are learning about Guild and want to know what's next, what's happening, how they can help. But in your own words, tell us who in your personal and professional network 
have provided some essential value and it came out of nowhere. You weren't really expecting them to show up the way that they did, but they were able to help you with Guild, whether they had industry expertise or not. Who were those people in your life? I mean, there's a lot. So I'm I probably I'm going to try to stick to two examples. One was a customer discovery interview I did, and I won't say her name. She's a private citizen. Her and her husband purchased a condo, newly renovated condo in a specific location. And some shoddy work has been done and a pipe burst and literally floods their new condo. And anyone who's gone through that will tell you that depending on basically what pipe bursts, you can't live in the property because of the liability associated with mold, is this sewage, all of this stuff, right? So fast forward a little bit. So they're out of the property now, right? They just paid $400,000 for this condo. They're out of the property. Going through insurance, their own property insurance, well, their property insurance is like, well, technically it's the contractor's fault. So you need to go, this is a liability claim. So the folks, they're paying their insurance company. You would think they would be like, we'll handle this for you. Like, this is not our bill, but we'll handle it for you. No, you're on your own. You need to go talk to the, the contractor. So they go through that process, finally get someone to come out to inspect the property. Turns out that this is technically a historical building. So there's not, it's not just a simple fix, right? So they have to get a structural engineer in there. There's permitting that they have to apply for and they have to do this themselves. And so the liability insurance on the contractor side, they don't want to pay. So what they make you do is you have to prove to us that this is a an actual claim. So she's literally in the library researching these things to how do I find a structural engineer? What should the report look like? Like going through this entire process. And then she finally gets approved, right? The, li- the liability company, the liability insurance company approves their claim, is going to pay for the work but it's a reimbursement process. So recap real quick. They paid $400,000 for this property. They've had to pay themselves to prove that it was actually a contractor's fault. Now they have to pay for this renovation and then be reimbursed. So going through that whole journey with her, and this doesn't even get into the issues she had with managing the renovation, like really opened my eyes to the complexity of this industry. And of course, the opportunities that present itself, but even more so, the emotion that is tied to the problem we're trying to solve. Like this is not a situation of, would I like it to be better? Sure. But no, like people literally having like to go to therapy to deal with the pain and the trauma of going through a bad renovation. And then this is not hyperbole, like legitimately folks like being scarred, both financially, emotionally, in some cases, physically of what they had to deal with. So that's one. And then the second aspect of it that leads into that was a mentor of mine based here in Detroit named Jeff Ponders. And I met him through going through the local ecosystem at Tech Town. And he was supposed to be, he was my mentor and like kind of team leader for this program I was in, but our relationship quickly outgrew that dynamic. And he basically became a mentor and advisor free of cost, like pretty much was just like, I want to see you succeed. And what helped me put the stories I was hearing in context was we had a conversation about needs versus wants. And VC has a tendency to simplify complex human dynamics into a situation, perfect example, where they say, are you building a vitamin or are you building a painkiller? It's used to convey in your mind, like people, some people like vitamins, but people need painkillers, but that's not really the case, right? It's this need and want dynamic. The the need is relief, right? What do I want to fulfill that need? A lot of people have pain, but they really don't want painkillers. Right. But that's all there is in the market. So then therefore I buy it. So for his perspective, I was just like, I mean, you're right. Especially when you think about the hierarchy of needs for the most, most part, most people in the U.S. have their base level of needs met. Right. When you're talking about thirst, hunger, a job, a roof over the head, not everybody, but for the most part, most people can check off those boxes. There aren't any startups right, that are truly solving life-changing needs. So when he put it to me that way, I was like, okay, kind of starting to get it. And then he was just like, well, let me explain it to you this way. Right now in the U.S., the vast majority of people, I think it's, I think the number is what, north of 55% don't have $500 saved. But everyone, if you ask them, they say what? I need to save more money. Okay, obvious need. 
But what do you want? I want those new Jordans. I want to go on vacation. I want, and nothing, nothing's wrong with those creature, creature comforts, right? But it's clearly they have a need. There's tools out there that will help you save money, help you budget, do all of that stuff. The vast majority of citizens aren't doing that. Why? Because it's not what they want. So when he put it into those terms, it fully helped me understand that it's not enough just to identify a need. It's not enough just to pair a need with a problem. And it's not even enough just to have a solution that fixes that need or problem. Why? Because if they don't want it, they won't use it, no matter how bad they need it. A person could be walking in the desert right now and completely dehydrated. And you say, I have a glass of water for you, but I don't want that glass of water. I want a Coke. We see it every day in today's, as consumers, we see it every day in our lives, right? How many times I need to lose more weight? I buy a gym membership. I mean, think about it. the beginning of year, gym membership attendance skyrockets. By the second quarter, it's cut in half. Why? I need it, but I don't want it. So that advice really helped me spend the time not rushing to market because I didn't feel as though I had a solution that people wanted for an obvious need I know existed. My goodness. Well, if you haven't frightened away all the casual <laughs> renovators with that story, I think you might have some leads there. But uh, speaking of complexity, we're sitting with a parentpreneur. Okay. Yeah. So now we want to talk family. We've been talking business. We've been talking house renovations. And obviously there's some overlap there potentially, but and can you describe positive ways in which your company has impacted your family life? I think the main part is in communication. Like I said earlier, right? This aspect of being a writer and storyteller has really helped me connect with users and be able to weave that into Guild's brand. Like we literally named the company Guild because a Guild by definition is two independent parties coming together to accomplish a common goal, right? So that skill set has helped me improve and be a better husband and father because it's not I have to listen, right? It's active listening to what is the problem that we're having or what is it that my wife needs in a given moment and listening for her to tell me, not for me to assume what it is, but for her to tell me exactly what it is. And then to my my best of my ability, we all fall short to try to accomplish or solve that need or that problem. And sometimes that problem is I, I really just want you to sit here and listen to me talk about this problem, not try to solve it. But as an entrepreneur, everyone knows that's always a struggle. But I think that would be the biggest thing is just making me a more active listener. I love that. And this is a friendly reminder that Parentpreneur Foundation, we have an episode with James Oliver Jr. back in season one. Check them out to learn about that community of parentpreneurs doing great things and supported in many of the ways that you mentioned. So now I want to shift to a different pairing or potential pairing and talk co-founders. If you were going to design your own co-founder to come in here and help you build Guild, what is that one sprinkle on top or that one thing you would make sure you added to that cake before you put it in the oven? What is that one thing that you want to make sure is there? That's a tough one. So I guess let me let me put a framework around to answer this question. I myself am not a technical founder, as I'm pretty much sure everyone has assumed by now. All this talk about marketing, story writing, and writing and storytelling, everyone's pretty sure he's not building this. So this person would, of course, have to be on the technical side. But what I think I would want to sprinkle in is ideally someone from a different background than mine, in not in the professional sense, but in the economic social since like I'm from relatively probably upper middle class, two parent household, that aspect. So I see life very differently than probably a lot of people just because as I'm sure a lot of, for those who don't know, I am black. A lot of black folks probably have those different socioeconomic statuses in their family, right? Like they may be the one from upper middle class or even upper class, but they got family members that are in poverty or the hood or lower income. And so they get to see these different cuts of the world that a lot of other ethnic groups may not have access to. So for me, I would want someone now that background could be from any socioeconomic perspective, someone that's extremely comes from an extremely wealthy family. That would be great. But also anyone who comes from a single parent household, an immigrant story, another country that's not as developed as the U.S. or even low income urban environment. 
just someone who sees the world differently than I do and can make the connection with if Guild is successful and becomes this transformational technology that we're aiming for it to be, how that can shift the lives of average people in their local communities. Brilliant. Also, you can tell that I am not a baker. I think I was trying to put sprinkles on the cake before I put it in the oven. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah, don't do that if you're listening. To, uh, try a different method. So now let's shift to dollar bills. Okay. You've probably heard me tell the story about a religious figure speaking about what they would do with a million dollars. And then miraculously, that million dollars shows up, which seems like a far cry of a story. But the more and more that we interview these founders and co-founders, that seems to be how it happens. You say over and over again what you would do with the money. And at some point, somebody who's listening says, let's roll. So let's fast forward to that moment for you and say that you have access to a million dollars, except this time, no strings attached. What are you doing with that million dollars? How are you spending one zero 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 zero? I mean, OK, so let me get some context around it. this. How am I spending it? as an entrepreneur or just in general? All right, so the world is my oyster. How am I spending a million dollars? I mean, I think one of the things, I'm not originally from Detroit, but Detroit has become my home since leaving college. And to see so many people invest in this community, but there's still like so much more that we can accomplish. And there are so many great black, brown, women-led developers and real estate investors, and there's just not enough capital to go around to these upstarts, right? These people that are just dipping their toe in and getting involved. If I had a million dollars, I would probably fund in to 20, 50,000 to $100,000 development projects with people of color and women of color that are focused on the neighborhoods of Detroit. So not you know, the 7.6 square miles everyone sees in downtown Detroit, which is phenomenal. And it's great. And we love that downtown is becoming, it's actually what a downtown of an urban city is supposed to be. Fun, travel, events, festivals, all the good stuff. We're great. But there are these these pockets of neighborhoods that, that could use a lot of love. And there are a lot of, and I want to shout them out, block groups that are doing great things in these neighborhoods, living amongst these communities, working with them to see what is it exactly you need and not just making those assumptions. If I had a million dollars, that's what I would that's where the money would go is helping these black clubs completely turn around these communities in these suburbs of Detroit that need a lot of love. That's a great answer and a selfless answer. And a bit of a theme that we're finding with founders is that if you take it out of the context and investing in your own company, it seems that putting a million dollars in founders in our community will go right back into those communities and sort of a multiplier effect. So it's good to hear that. Now let's bring it back to Guild and talk about the investments other people have made in you. Specifically, talk to us about the most profitable piece of advice you've received since you first started building Guild. I mean, I think the most profitable piece of advice that I got was actually had nothing to do with Guild. My background so far as terms of professional is in the automotive industry. And one of the things that I did was I led our naming efforts. So making cool names for new cars, essentially. A little more complex than that, but for the sake of simplicity. And one of the things, the pieces of advice I got while I was in that job was there has to be this emotive connection. And it has to do more than just pull at the heartstrings, right? Like it's not every marketer in any type of campaign whether it's email, digital, TV, anything. You want that aw moment. But an emotive connection is bigger than that, right? It's this becomes a part of my story as a consumer. So I took that into building Guild into how do I make Guild a part of a customer's story? And when you think about when you're talking about home renovation, doesn't matter who you are, right? So if you're a homeowner, and this is your first home and you're buying a fixer upper and you're going through the process of doing that using your own money, right? To get your piece of the American dream, which no matter what you look at, the data says that real estate is one of the most consistent wealth generators in this country. Guild being a solution that you can use to make that process a little easier, to make that headache a little smaller, or you're getting your first flip. 
buying your first investment property and getting a taste of passive income. Like that is what Guild as a brand, that's what we want to be about. It's not just you have a project and Guild is where you go to get it done, but Guild is my partner in me realizing my dreams as a consumer, as a homeowner. That is such a compelling idea to think about your company as being part of your customer's journey. I love that. And let's just be honest, pipes bursting, rooms being renovated, new kitchens. That's very serious work. Now talk to us about ways where you keep it fun. <sighs> I mean, I think any renovation, there is an element of fun to it, right? Because now we go to what I talked about, my love and marketing with the sociology and the psychology, right? So when a customer begins the journey of a renovation, it's the idea of you're taking something tangible and designing an outcome that you want. That in and of itself is fun, right? Like almost every person you asked to, you would ask growing up has played with Legos, has played with blocks, has played the Sims and designed homes and rooms. And that is the fun part of a renovation, taking this concept that begins in your head, that begins looking at a Pinterest board, that begins seeing something on Instagram, and then it's sketched out in architectural paper and designed and measured out and then executed. And seeing that dream, that vision, that image come to fruition, that is the fun part. We're just trying to make the process easier to get there so more people can feel that way. And it becomes, to me, a renovation when you're with the right contractor is an actual an enjoyable process. We just want to make it easier for everyone to have that experience and for it not to be so people dependent, right? Whereas like I have to find the right contractor to get that experience. But Guild has made me a better decision maker, a more informed consumer, a participant in this process where now I can be responsible for ensuring that I have that out. Love that. We're learning a lot more about Guild. We also want to know more about you, Donovan, specifically what is motivating you or what are the sources of inspiration that you have, particularly when it comes to artists? So this is a question that we ask a lot of the founders and investors and ecosystem builders on this program, which is which artist most inspires the work that you do? Talk to us about the inspirations that you find in the artistic community, given how much overlap there is in this entrepreneurial journey. I know we're in the 313 Detroit, but tell us more broadly, sort of who is who is driving that for you? So, okay. I mean, I don't listen to a lot of music. I mean, just be completely transparent, especially, I mean, I will say I probably don't listen to any of the music that most folks would consider relevant now, but I would probably, I mean, I have to go back. I mean, this is this is my guy in terms of music, movies, just content in general. And that's Will Smith. Sans Oscar, Chris Rock slap. <laughs> because his authenticity, right? Like if you read his book or listen to him speak and he talks about his initial journey as an artist where he saw what the market was heavily prevalent towards gangster rap and was like, I'm going to be that guy. Misogynistic, bunch of cussing. Like that is what's selling. But it was inauthentic to who he was as a person in his background. Thankfully, he realized that. But then it changes his trajectory as an artist. And he actually creates a niche within rap music to where, corny as most folks may think it is, he crossed over a whole lot easier at a time where most rappers were not crossing over genres, right? Like, I mean, Will Smith won a, won a Grammy when rap became a category to win a Grammy. So that authenticity of being true to who you, who you are, that should flow into your brand, into your community, into whatever you're doing. So that has always been an influence to me, not just as an entrepreneur, but as a person in general, being authentic to who you are. And if you do that, doors will, like, there's not, you do not have to sell out or sell short to have access to opportunity. So Will Smith has always kind of been an influence based on that. And then I think also going to Howard and the go-go music scene and how involved it is in the community and the, the cultural connections that are behind that. And like, I mean, if you go to, I mean, if you just go to a go-go party or just listen to go-go music, I mean, you instantly like want to dance, right? And so I think part of just 
how culture, art, business, and community connect and wanting to be a pillar in that is what I aim to do for Gil. Now, that was a very insightful answer. And I think a first uh, on the podcast for an ode to Will Smith, also learning a lot more about his background, too, with the, the Grammy and all that. So now I want to shift to the future. We've been talking about the present. We've been talking about the past, inspirations, your family. Now, here is our billion dollar question. Do you want to run a billion dollar company? Why or why not? And we're interested in your motivations around running a unicorn or running a billion dollar company. And this is different from founding a billion dollar company and having someone else take the reins. Do you want to run a billion dollar company? Absolutely. And I I think one of the things that I'm really passionate about is helping others and helping the community. Like I am a Christian, my background, I was raised in church. So the teachings of Christ are very prevalent in what I do on a day to day. And one of the passages in scripture, I believe, is it's either in Romans or Peter, but it talks about esteeming your brother more than yourself, right? So everyone knows, love your neighbor as yourself, but esteeming someone more than yourself takes it to another degree where I actually care about not just your well-being, but your success, right? Like I want to see you do better. And Guild being a billion-dollar business and me running it becomes a transformational technology, right? Like from us, automating and streamlining the real estate industry lowers the barrier to entry for entrepreneurship. So whether you're a contractor wanting to start your own business, you're a homeowner who wants to purchase their first home, or you want to become a real estate investor, there right now is not a technology that lowers the barrier to entry. So think about what SaaS has done for small businesses, right? So companies that thought that I could only really dominate local, hyper-locally or regionally at the most, SaaS has made them into global, international brands. Think about what marketplaces have done for small mom and pop restaurants, right? You're talking about franchising in ghost kitchens without the need of actually buying another location or increasing your customer footprint through on-demand delivery services without you having to invest any additional overhead costs where before you would, right? If I wanted to increase my footprint as a restaurant, I'm either hiring more heads, hiring a delivery driver, or opening a second location. Guild can be that for the real estate industry at a billion dollars. And that is my mindset. So that's why I would want to run it. Not just from, not because of the financial gains attached with that, but to ensure that we stay on mission, that that is our goal, is to esteem others more than ourselves. Lovely. And I'm glad you ate before this. I'm feeling the energy <laughs> and the vibe. And this is, that's a wonderful thing. Speaking of, so we're in Detroit, which is a historic city in the United States and one that has had quite a journey along the way, ups and downs. And I think we can all agree that it is on an upward trajectory now. So talk to us about the tech ecosystem specifically in this part of Michigan, in the Midwest, and in this country. Just talk to us about Detroit and some of the good kind of things that are happening here, the big players here, your excitement for it. You're alum of Tech Town. Maybe you can speak to that. But what is the thing that you're most excited about here in Detroit for folks who are considering coming through? Yeah, I mean, the Midwest as an ecosystem in general is on a new trajectory, right? Like it's it's the frontier. I mean, when you think about the coast, east or west, they've kind of matured. I mean, I still, for the most part, all roads lead to Silicon Valley at some point. We get that. There's a lot of great things going on in Texas, a lot of great things going on in Colorado and Atlanta. Phenomenal. But the Midwest is still at its earliest stages where it's almost seems pure to a certain degree, right? And I'm really excited about that. There's now, there's definitely some frustrations that come with that. You were talking about access to capital, talent, just because we're building that. But there is, there is something I think innately for most people and cool, something innately cool in being the first. So being part of that journey. And I love that being here in Detroit. Like I said, Detroit has become my home. So I'm an alum of Tech Town. I'm actually an alum of Wayne State University. This is where I got my MBA. So like we have a lot of the building blocks. And I mean, Tech Stars is coming back. 
to Detroit where it previously had left due to some other stuff, but they're coming back. More angel investors are actually starting to pop up because Motown is, I mean, it's the heart of innovation when you're talking about mobility and the automotive industry. So there's a lot of people with a lot of money here, right? But it's also kind of conservative, right? They like to make, make sure bets. So as more angel investors start to come, more dollars are coming out because you can actually get a pretty decent discount on valuations here versus some other ecosystems. So as dollars flow and we have more successes like Duo out in Ann Arbor, StockX down here in Detroit, a couple other companies who are just in their C Series A level, like Pocket Nest, things like that. The more success that we have, more dollars that are right here at home are going to start to open up. So I just love being part of that journey, being part of the community, being effective in building out what I think we have a great opportunity here, a more inclusive and, dare I say, equitable ecosystem because we're so young versus some of the other ecosystems that are mature and are now trying to course correct. That was such a good description of what's happening here and, and so much alacrity behind it. You might might have politics in your future potentially, but let's say that you have to leave Detroit for whatever reason. You can't stay here any longer and you have to go to another tech startup ecosystem outside of Silicon Valley. Where would that be? I mean, that's a pretty easy question to answer. It would either be Austin or Atlanta because one, it's great to be part of an upcoming ecosystem, but every founder knows you need access to capital. That's one. You can bootstrap. Sure, there are a lot of great companies that have been bootstrapped, but even those folks still had access to capital to not go to work every day and be able to bootstrap and focus on their own companies. But even in bootstrapping, you need people who can invest time, resources, networks that can help you move forward. And then two, access to talent because you need talented people. No founder, no co-founder, no team of founders has all of the skill sets needed to scale a business successfully. So you need access to talented people to be able to help you on that journey. And I think Austin and Atlanta provide, outside of Silicon Valley, of course, provide the the best kind of mix of having a great capital-rich system to feed into local companies and low cost of living, great weather that a lot of talented people are, are migrating to even now. Super solid choice there indeed. And in fact, it raises... The next question, which is one of my favorites, you may or may not be aware of the app launch parties that we were throwing back in the day in Harlem and one that we threw in Memphis. But at these events, we would bring founders together with a group of people who are interested in just celebrating them and supporting them. It's not a pitch competition. It's designed to celebrate this founder. And then there's a Q&A session that is curated so that people, regardless of experience level, feel comfortable asking questions. And the founder feels comfortable peeling back those layers a little bit more. And so in that Q&A session, ultimately, there's going to be a final question. Let's say this is your opportunity to provide that last question. If you have a founder who's had a pretty good night, some success recently, and you have an opportunity to ask them a question, what are you going to ask them? Great question. And I and I always fall back on this question whenever I do talk to other founders. It is about go-to-market strategy, right? Our growth hacking. Like, how did you get your first paid user or enterprise client, whatever aspect of that? Then how did you get your first 10? And how did you get your first 100? Because I, every founder who has had success, I truly believe, and this is just my opinion, their go-to-market strategy and customer acquisition strategy is unique. Like through the networking events, especially now coming out of the pandemic, everything was happening virtually. So you could just talk to founders from everywhere. It was very rare for me to speak to a founder, ask that question and found any type of like commonality with a bunch of other founders. It's usually very unique. Like I, I did this one thing and it worked or I did this thing and it worked. And I love hearing that one, because of course I'm going to steal the idea and see if it works for me. But then two, also seeing how like different off the wall and unique tactics that most people would roll their eyes at and be like, that would never work. And it does. And then kind of being able to delve deeper into giving me the background into how you got to that decision. What were you looking at in terms of OKRs or KPIs to tell you that it was working? And then how did you double down on it? That's why I go from that one to 10 to a hundred. To me, that is, that is where the magic is. 
for every single founder that is successful is how they got those cut those first cut paying customers. Simply brilliant, Donovan. I've enjoyed this conversation and it is clear that that Howard training paid off that marketing and Wayne State MBA as well. Clearly, you have vision for how you want to approach the startup ecosystem and guilds specifically. So if we have been listening to this and we like what we're hearing, whether we're Spain or South Africa or somewhere in the United States, Atlanta, New York, and we want to get in touch with you, what is the best way to get in touch with Donovan today and get a response? LinkedIn. Yeah, that's probably the most active platform that I use just because I have a seven month old. So I'm not a, I am not your founder influencer on Instagram or Twitter. So don't follow me thinking you're about to get 20 page threads <laughs> on a weekly basis. So follow me at LinkedIn, Donovan Wright. Pretty simple. I think there's only a couple of us on there anyway. <laughs> and that is the best way I respond to the vast majority of my messages and connections. I'm always looking to network and talk to other folks because like I said, Guild is going to be even more successful than it already is. And to do that, I will tap into every single resource that makes themselves available for me to do so. And I can attest to your responsiveness. That's how we got connected was on LinkedIn. So it does work. Take Donovan up on that offer. And one last question we want to ask, and you may feel as though you have answered this in no uncertain terms throughout this interview. And I think that you have, but in your own words, what is the most valuable thing that you do for your customers? Uh, yeah. Okay. That's a, that's a big question. I mean, there's, it's not that it's hard to answer, right? But there's so many things that come to mind. So how do I make this concise? I mean, I think the biggest thing that we do for our customers, both on the client side and on the contractor side, is we make it easier for them to collaborate. And we remove, or at least we attempt to remove that tension that exists between a property owner and a contractor, right? So the goal of any renovation is a quality project delivered on time. But you got to kind of go, right, you go into game theory when you start talking about the interactions between a homeowner and contractor, they often side, oftentimes see themselves opposed rather than we're actually on the same team. And I think that's what Guild does because we add in better information, get homeowners to be more informed customers, which help contractors, right, bring more to the table and automate some of those administrative and operational tasks that everybody hates doing, right? And remove some of the barriers in terms of communication and interaction and just make it simpler to collaborate with your teammate to execute on this goal. I think that's the biggest thing we do for our customers. And who couldn't love that? Donovan, it's been great to have this conversation with you. I've learned a ton and I'm sure the folks listening to this right now have as well. We want you to have the last word before we let you go. I mean, I just, I appreciate the time. I love, I mean, just like most founders, like I love talking about Guild, but also love talking about the world at large, community. How do we help others improve their lives for the better? And I mean, I appreciate that you are focused on diverse tech founders, bringing different perspectives, bringing different information from different ecosystems and really being a nexus, a connection point for folks to get tapped into things that they, to networks, to information, to communities that they themselves may not have access to. I think what you're doing is great, and I, I really appreciate being part of it. Well, we appreciate you too. Thank you for joining this community, and we hope that you will continue to stay engaged and connect with others in this community as we grow in our mission to connect founders to founders and their investors in a way that makes sense for all of us, taking into account the unique circumstances that we experience. Like I said, we've enjoyed it. Until next time, we bid you adieu. Thank you for joining this week's episode of Diverse Tech Founders Podcast. I'm Abraham J. Williamson, and we had yet another great guest to pop in. And if you enjoyed today's podcast recording, please give us a rating. You can do it right now on iTunes or Spotify or whatever medium of choice that you have. But thank you for joining, and we'll see you next week.